the United States women's national team has won the bronze medal at the Tokyo Olympics here in 2021. Don't be fooled by the 2020 tagline. So I'm your host, Jeff Kasouf. This is another episode of Kicking Back, and we're recording this one off of the bronze medal match, mostly in two two reasons, really. The U.S. Uh, winning that match over Australia 4-3 to three in a ridiculous, chaotic, very fitting game for how this tournament has gone for the U.S. and maybe just the tournament at large in general. And also because uh, just after this game ended, we got official word that the gold medal match has been moved, uh, rightfully so, for player safety and health, back quite a bit, back by 10 hours from the original kickoff time. So what would have been a Thursday, 10 p.m. Eastern U.S. time kickoff for the gold medal match between Canada and Sweden is now a Friday, 8 a.m. Eastern U.S. time kickoff, which is 9 p.m. local Friday in Japan. And that means that there's really uh, more than a full day between the bronze medal and gold medal match. So we're going to talk about the bronze medal match specifically on this pod, and then we'll talk about the gold medal match uh, tomorrow as it stands uh, in a separate podcast. So U.S. 4-3 winners over Australia in this bronze medal. First Olympic bronze medal for the United States. They've now won four Olympic golds, one Olympic silver, one Olympic bronze, and then the 2016 quarterfinal exit. That all dates back to uh, the seven tournaments now since uh, women's soccer was introduced to the Olympics in the Atlanta Games in the U.S. in 96. So uh, five, six of seven now with a medal. First one, that's bronze, and a lot to unpack here. Look, 4-3 victory. It was 4-1 to one at one point, and it looked like the U.S. was running away with this, and it finally clicked. And certainly offensively, they did in a way that they haven't really, at least against this caliber opponent in the Olympics so far. And then uh, some of the defensive mistakes that have haunted the U.S. a little bit in this tournament come back. And in the end, it's a nail-biter, 4-3 that includes, uh, which will not show up on the scoreline, obviously, Sam Kerr with a header. Um, it was not yet 4-3. I believe it was 4-2 at that point. It would have been 4-3 before Emily Gilnick's goal in stoppage time or in the 90th minute that made it 4-3. But Sam Kerr with a header, perfectly timed, perfectly placed, almost perfectly, I guess. Glancing header off the far post, hit the inside of the post, came square across the goal mouth, and did not go in. So, you know, really without exaggeration, probably an inch difference there, and that's bouncing into the net rather than sideways and out. And who knows, Australia even, I believe, was awarded a corner kick in the sixth minute of stoppage time when the final whistle was blown. And there was a lot of confusion and argument even uh, as to the final whistle being blown, but uh, was knocking on the door in this game for that fourth goal and an equalizer because the U.S. was playing with 10 players. Alex Morgan, who had come on in the second half, injured very end of the game in the 90th minute there after that Gilnick goal and uh, was helped off the field by two trainers U.S. had already used had only used four of their five subs but had done it in the maximum of three substitution windows so could not make a change even if they wanted to and well of course they wanted to 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 get back to 11 players but uh, could not make a change so they had to see the game out with 10 players and they were on the ropes. I think they let that play uh, continue if it was a corner. It was unclear to me, but um, another few minutes in this game, some more stoppage time, and I don't know, maybe we get a, a 4-4 game going extra time. I mean, a fitting way to end this Olympics, chaotic, and a fitting way uh, for the U.S. to win bronze, really, because it was um, not a horrible performance from the U.S., certainly by their standards. It was not good enough 
and not gold medal worthy, but um, the inconsistency in which they arrived at at this bronze medal by their own admission. I mean, even post-game comments here from Megan Rapino in the semifinal round, the semifinal loss to Canada, Carly Lloyd post-game in the press conference that, that I was in virtually. I've seen Becky Sauerbrunn quoted from Andrew Doss, New York Times, of, of saying the same thing that, you know, the gold medal was not necessarily deserved based on the performances. They've they've admitted to how uh, they have not performed to, to their expectations and abilities at this tournament. And uh, they walk away with bronze, which I think is probably, you know, a, a fitting and, and deserved, uh, you know, maybe you could argue silver based on that, that Canada game that maybe they deserve to get through that. But, you know, all of these things, as we talked about in that semifinal loss to Canada, have added up to this cumulative um, you know, third place performance, which I think, you know, average wouldn't even be fair because third place bronze medal is certainly above average, but by U.S. standards, obviously, um, you know, not up to par, but I think worth, I don't want to say revisiting those standards, but, you know, the idea that the U.S. is going to win every single tournament has always been unrealistic. And in past years, in past cycles, I guess even in past decades, it's been acceptable enough to kind of hold that standard because the competition level was not necessarily there beyond that handful of teams. You know, it's rotated. You, you had your Norway as the chief rival evolved into to China. Obviously, Sweden has been for basically 20 years now a team that is always in the way in some fashion in a major tournament. You know, Japan for that small stretch of a couple cycles. France has been recently, you know, a team that's that seems to always be in the way and, and has never been uh, an issue yet for the U.S. in that sense in a major tournament. But uh, the Netherlands now, you know, emerging in that sense. So, you know, there's always been that handful of teams, but I think that pool has obviously emerged, um, excuse me, has expanded a little bit. And, you know, the idea that the U.S. is going to win every tournament is just not realistic. And we, I think that reality check came in the 2016 Olympics, falling out in the quarterfinals, and it's not the last time that's going to happen. Is that the 2023 World Cup? Is that the 2024 Olympics? Was it this bronze medal performance here in Tokyo? You know, all of those things are, are valid questions. I think it's a when, not if, and that's not to say the U.S. is never going to win another World Cup or Olympics. It's not the case at all, but the idea, bronze medal, as I think has been stated by the coaching staff, the players, needs to in some fashion be celebrated because that is, you know, an achievement in itself, a particular achievement given the way that the U.S. has played. And I know that there are U.S. players of, of past generations, coaches even of past generations, people around the program who have built it into the Goliath, um, you know, winning machine that it has become that might turn over in their grave at that idea. But I think when you look at the state of the game, worldwide you look at this tournament and how it went you look at the conditions around it which every team dealt with obviously the pandemic the heat the scheduling you know all of these things i don't think you can objectively look at a bronze medal and say wow what a failure you know were there were there micro failures within were there things that got exposed a butt whooping by sweden um you know a an inability to break down canada in a game that the U.S. really controlled and, and really gave nothing to Canada but for that one penalty kick? Yes, of course, there are those moments. And in the past, the U.S. has had those moments. I think, you know, we're not that far removed from 2015 to remember how that those first four games really of that tournament went. 
The U.S. has had those moments in the past, and they have found a way to get through them. In some regards, they found a way to get through them at this Olympics to get to a bronze medal. And in some regards, they did not, because in other ways, you know, that semifinal, in other years and other tournaments, that semifinal goes a different way. And, you you know, the Canadians can tell you that from nine years ago in, in a much different way, the way that 2012 semifinal played out for the U.S. in their favor. So bronze medal, I would say, you know, something to overall be celebrated for the U.S. It's an Olympic medal. I think that should not be forgotten. You know, feel free to scream and yell at me about the idea that uh, that's a soft take. But frankly, it's reality. And I think anybody who um, is unwilling to even acknowledge that as a concession is is not rooted in reality, frankly. So uh, yes, disappointments, and we'll go over some of those and, and deficiencies that have been exposed, I think, with 20, well, 24 months, really, almost to the, the 2023 World Cup now, full two years. And, you know, certainly a lot to, to look to. So uh, quickly on this game, 4-3 for the U.S., a brace for Megan Rapino, a brace for Carly Lloyd, two goals apiece in what I have to say, really, I mean, neither of them, they both said explicitly they have not made an official decision. I think the term official there is the operative word because official is, uh, I think you could replace that with public. Um, we don't know what they're doing in the immediate, certainly, but I think very fair to say that this looks like the last game for each of them at a major international tournament. The next one is two years away. Uh, Rapino 36, Lloyd 39. Not going to rule rule out the idea that either of them might try to to play in that World Cup. Um, you have to remember, as, as they and others have talked about before, Megan Rapino actually talked about it after the semifinal loss, fresh in her mind, that you really have to view these things in four-year cycles, the way that the way that their landscape looks. So, you know, a lot of players view that decision not just as what's the next World Cup, but, you know, that World Cup with the Olympics back-to-back. So we'll see. I mean, plenty of time to figure that out and, and hear from them officially. But in what looked like maybe probably could have been the last major international tournament for them, for both of them, the last Olympic game for both of them, and uh, two goals for each spectacularly. So Megan Rapino opens the scoring with an Olympico goal directly off a corner kick nine years after she did it against Canada in the 2012 semifinal. She did it here against Australia. She said, this time I meant it because she had kind of analyzed with the coaching staff some game tape on Australia goalkeeper Tegan Micah and how Australia sets up on corner kicks. Eight minutes into the match, curls it right into the side netting and it's game on for the U.S., now, Sam Kerr, 17th minute, answers. Bad giveaway from Tierna Davidson trying to play a, a square ball, basically a square ball to Becky Sauerbrunn in the back. Puts it too far in front of her. Maybe a nervy moment. Again, some defensive issues for the U.S. in this tournament. And turns it over. Eventually, Sam Kerr with the finish to, to get the equalizer just nine minutes after Rapino puts the U.S. ahead. But... Rapino then answers four minutes after that. Terrible defensive mistake by Australia. Uh, a series of bad clearances. Eventually, it's Alana Kennedy with a, basically an assist to Megan Rapino on this with a, a beautiful side volley from Rapino, equally in a different way, equally beautiful goal. And it's 2-1 U.S. Carly Lloyd gets on the score sheet in the first minute of stoppage time in the first half. It's 3-1. Looks like a dagger. Australia. Could have tried to get to halftime 2-1. It's 3-1, and you think, okay, floodgates open. And then they come right back six minutes after the restart. Carly Lloyd scores again, defensive mistake again from Australia, who uh, 
You wonder how this game goes if Ellie Carpenter is in it. I talked about that last time. Ellie Carpenter, one of the key players for Australia, one of their best players in this tournament, certainly their fastest defender, maybe their most important defender, maybe in some ways their only true defender, the way that they played, the way that they lined up this tournament, some decisions they had to make, and uh, even playing out of position, their most important defender. And she takes a red card in the final seconds of that semifinal, a needless, unnecessary red card in a game that they were losing anyway. And she's out for this bronze medal game. I don't know. I think this game probably goes in some fashion in a different way for Australia if if she's in it. But she's replaced by Claire Polkinghorn, who has had significant struggles when playing at that center back role, whether in a 4-4-2 or, you know, this three back that, that Tony Gustafsson has deployed and uh, Polkinghorn caught on a couple of these plays as well. So um, that's that fourth goal and they're up 4-1. And then, you know, it's just, it had to be hard, right? It had to be the hard way this tournament has gone, the way this has gone for the U.S. So three minutes after it goes 4-1, Caitlin Ford gets on the board, for Australia, it's 4-2. And, you know, I think if you're the, you know, a neutral, you say, okay, 4-2, you know, not the cliched uh, two-goal lead is the most dangerous. It was a three, but, um, you know, it's 4-2. There's a little bit of momentum, maybe. Then Sam Kerr off the post, another warning shot. And I think that's where you see some of that belief from Australia. You know, it, it's cliche, the never say die that Australia and the Matildas have been talking about this tournament. It's cliche from them. It's cliche from the U.S. whenever they use it. I kind of hate it, but you do see it in some tangible ways. And you see that forward goal that gets them back, maybe within striking distance. There's still 40 minutes left in the game, 35 minutes left in the game. And you see that Kerr header off the post, a warning shot, almost makes it 4-3, and you see that belief. And it's in action there. And they keep themselves in this game. Emily Gilna comes off the bench, as she has throughout this Olympics, scores in the 90th minute, it's 4-3. Morgan goes down seconds later. And like I said, there was a goal mouth scramble here in the fifth. I think it was already into the sixth minute of what was a four minutes of allotted stoppage time. And, I mean, this could have gone extra time. U.S. had 10 players, uh, Australia knocking on the door. Uh, again, I think there might have been a corner kick awarded before the final whistle the ref then made a motion as if she was negating that call, I think, and then and then pointed to her whistle and, and blew the full-time whistle. Confusion, but, you know, Australia, Steph Catley talked about this after the game. Tough to swallow, heartbreak in the moment. Um, didn't really sugarcoat it. I mean, there was there's a view from the outside. I think any fans, probably journalists in Australia, will look at, similar to I've just said as for the U.S., uh, the positives in this, which is it's the best ever finish for Australia at a major tournament. First time in a in a semifinal at a World Cup or Olympics, and uh, really knocked on the door. Tony Gustafsson, head coach, said, "You know, a double disappointment. They thought they could have beaten Sweden. They were right there in the semifinal, so they thought they could have been in that gold medal game. Didn't. Then they come to this bronze medal game. They thought they could have made that four four. They thought they could have gotten that done, forced extra time, won this game, and they didn't. So, double disappointment, as Tony Gustafsson said. And, you know, I think that." take some time to process for them. And, and I understand it. I do think, you know, again, objectively, you look at where they were three days apart in April, three days apart, they played two friendly matches in, in what was their introduction to Tony Gustafsson because of the pandemic. I mean, you look at the lack of amount of time that they got together. 
They lose 5-2 to Germany, 5-0 to the Netherlands. Three days apart, 10 goals conceded. That form didn't get much better before the Olympics, May, June, into July. And you had to look at the Matildas coming to this tournament objectively and say this is not a medal contender. So to be grinding through this Olympics to make a bronze medal game, to make the semifinals, to be that close, it has to sting that much more, absolutely. But I do think in some ways they overperformed. Certainly, they've set themselves up for um, you know what they hope is a successful 2023 World Cup on home soil in co-hosting with New Zealand. And you know they have a lot to figure out too from a talent perspective, from a pool perspective. Some young players, some who came off the bench in these games, that will be the future of that team. But you know you look at where did they fall short? Where could they have made some changes to to make to win a gold medal? And, you know, defensively, that's one of them. I mean, Carpenter's absence, so huge. But this is an Australia team who has just tried to get by defensively for too many years. And 2017, 2018, it felt like they were on the cusp of really being that world, among that world elite. You remember them winning that tournament of nations in the U.S. That felt like their announcement. And they just haven't found that depth, particularly in the back, where they're still relying on Polkinghorne, converting... Alana Kennedy, you know, Chloe Legarzo back there in the 3-5-2. They've played there, yes. It's not as if they've never played there, but going out identifying a a or developing into a world, someone into a world-class center back, you know, these are things that need to be done. They've got 2 years to do it ahead of a World Cup on home soil. So certainly things that need to be done and addressed, some turnover there between now and then as well, but um, you know, Matilda's always known for their young talent. And I think they've got some more coming up through the pipeline. They've really got to figure out how to harness it. This is the type of international experience that will uh, serve as a foundation and has for so many other teams in future tournaments. So we'll see how that goes in 2023. As for the U.S., you know, Rapino, Lloyd with the goals. Uh, Again, not the greatest tournament from the U.S. I think the midfield was better in this bronze medal game. Still defensive questions. Davidson with the giveaway. Uh, defensive questions again on those those other couple of goals and they really haven't figured it out you know for all of the attention on the forward line I, I wrote this and again my usual prompt subscribe to equalizersoccer.com all our premium content plenty about this game plenty about the gold medal game that's coming up plenty about the olympics at large and year round on the u.s nwsl fawsl all big things and so much attention on the forward line six forwards officially on this this roster and, uh, you know, however you want to count Katarina Macario uh, listed as a midfielder, but six forwards on this roster, five of them over 30, and the one who's not is Lynn Williams, who's 28. So plenty of attention on the ages there. You know, there's a lot to be figured out there. We've talked about it a little bit already. The back line, the depth at fullback has always been an issue. It's not really been figured out from cycle to cycle. And now you have Kelly O'Hara is now 33. You have... Becky Sauerbrunn, who has long been the the pillar and centerpiece in the center of the park there, is 36. That makes her 38 at the next World Cup, 39 at the next Olympics, should she be there. Abby Dahlkemper has been the heir apparent, really struggled this tournament, replaced by Tierna Davidson in the semifinals and bronze medal game. Tierna Davidson with struggles, you know, for various reasons maybe, but similarly, you know, giving up the PK in the semifinal and then, you know, the giveaway in this bronze medal game, some some other mistakes maybe that um, that, that stood out that maybe didn't lead to a goal directly. Um, but, 
you know, you look at that, that leaves you with Crystal Dunn maybe as an anchor still on that left side. Obviously, she's versatile, can play other places. But again, a point that I've made for a long time, you move her out of that fullback position who's playing there. I think out of the 18 that or the 22 that Flacco Andonofsky had available, Casey Kruger is probably the best answer there. But I'm talking long term here. And, and really, like, if you're rebuilding this team, you move Crystal Dunn and, and who's playing there. At the moment, you know, if, as if the Olympics were right now, as they were, there is not an answer that that is a fitting answer for this level. There is a, There are answers that can be developed and should be developed for 2023. Emily Fox is one who jumps out, playing pretty well for Racing Louisville in her rookie season, natural left back. You know, there are answers to these things, but... They need to be figured out, and and that's a defensive issue as well. So that leaves done. You know, I'm not. I want to be really clear that we should not be writing off Abby Dahlkemper in any way. You know, I, I, prior to this tournament, world class, top world center back, both sides of the ball. Don't know what happened in this tournament. You know, I, I think obviously she and the U.S. are hoping that it was an anomaly, and so you maybe look at that. You look at getting Tierna Davidson real minutes in real competitive games, which she didn't really get at the World Cup, even though she was on the roster. And, you know, maybe you say, okay, there's a sustainable young enough line there um, that you really need. A, after that, you need a right back. Or or maybe Fox comes in as a left back and you move done over, whatever that is. But there are questions in depth for center back and fullback. There are answers in the NWSL, certainly, and maybe even younger than that but they need development. And that is equally, you know, we talk about forwards. There are plenty of forwards to identify. That's actually something we'll have published shortly um, on, on EqualizerSoccer.com. Blair Newman, who's our, our tactics guy, our data guy, um, always always kind of analyzing with his eye, but also, also with the numbers and data and, and using Scout and uh, identifying plenty of forwards who are playing really well in the NWSL right now. But that conversation needs to be had defensively as well. We could argue about midfield. I think, again, we'll see if this this performance from the midfield was an anomaly or not. But that core of the midfield, I don't think, is going anywhere. So, But defensively, I think, is, is a question. So that, and then obviously, you know, look, I, I wrote this already. I've seen the chatter. What, what happens now for Vlako Nanovsky? I'll say it unequivocally. He should absolutely remain as coach, and I think it would be a terrible idea from Cindy Parlocone, Kate Markgraf, Ernie Stewart, U.S. soccer at large to to make a rash decision based on a third place finish here because part of his initiative, Vlakonanovsky's initiative, was yes to win this Olympics, but also looking ahead to 2023 in this cycle and developing a team, developing the program, frankly, overhauling the program with this older roster, and he is exactly who you want in that position to do it. He's so familiar with the player pool from the NWSL and even prior to that. I mean, we use these anecdotes and and I think people think it's like this folklore thing, but they are real tangible evidence of how knowledgeable he is of the, the pool to a degree that we in the public space just are not at all. These, these binders that are like, you know, manifestos on players for up and coming players, for college players, younger players, you know, he, Jill Ellis did this in 2016. They lost in the quarterfinals. She went and said, I need to blow things up. I need to bring people in. I need to make people uncomfortable and figure out how we're going to win this in 2019. The same thing needs to happen here. Mind you, a better result in this Olympics. Ellis had a 2015 World Cup under her belt already, yes. 
But this is what needs to happen here. Ananovsky's got two years to go and say, I'm going to go in now. I'm going to take all of these NWSL players, bring them into these kind of ID camps like there was at the end of 2019. We're going to figure out who works, who could fit at this level. Then we're going to put them to the test at this level. And we're going to be ready for 2023. No better person to do that. Nobody more familiar with the player pool for that. And frankly, this is his strength. So if you look at the twofold uh, task that he had at hand, okay, he won bronze instead of gold. Um, a lot of factors into that. And and I think, you know, we saw and talked about Megan Rapino, others, you know, there was very much a player element to this, players underperforming. And maybe you can, people will want to blame the coach for that. But we've heard directly from players that they take some of this blame or a lot of this blame and trying to figure out why they underperformed. So that is an element. But you take now, you know, no, the Olympics should not be a learning stage for anybody, but you now have Ananovsky with the experience of a major tournament, maybe some mistakes he made along the way that he now knows how to manage better at a World Cup. And you take that and combine it with what was already his strength prior to any of this, the the talent identification and development and how to really get the best out of players. Combine those, add the experience now, and I, I just don't see why in the world you would want to start over two years from a World Cup if you're U.S. soccer. So I, I think it would be a rash decision. Um, in some ways, I think, you know, in some ways I've tried to, it's not even worth talking about at this exact moment because there's no reason to suggest that anything is is even being talked about on that front. But it, it continues to come up in some prominent places and I think is, is worth addressing. Now, look, am I saying that's what's going to happen? I have no idea. I mean, you know, this team just won a, a bronze medal a few hours ago, not even. And, um, you know, there's plenty to talk about uh, among U.S. soccer leadership. I'm sure, you know, exit interviews from the, the tournament itself for, for players, for coaching staff, and, um, you know, figuring out what that plan looks like and all of these things. So uh, crazier things have happened. You know, you can ask, I think I said this before, Greg Ryan, Tom Sermani, different different scenarios. But, you know, uh, we know how high the bar is for this team. But I just, I, you know, the idea of uh, moving on um, would, would seem really crazy to me and I think would be a, a poor decision um, in terms of how to build toward 2023 at this point. So uh, didn't think it was quite worth addressing earlier, but as it continues to persist as a narrative, um, that's that's where I stand and I know I'm not alone. So um, U.S. bronze medal winners, 4-3 over Australia. First bronze medal in uh, program history. Obviously, they wanted a another gold and um, that's not the case. But overall, Struggled through the tournament. I think in that sense, you have to be happy with the bronze in some ways, and, and players have kind of acknowledged that. And uh, now it's on to the gold medal match, which will bring you some analysis of tomorrow, Canada versus Sweden in that gold medal match, which has been moved. Again, 8 a.m. Eastern U.S. time, 9 p.m. local Friday in Japan uh, to account for the heat and player safety. And we'll see. First, uh, could be a first gold for Sweden be a first silver or gold for Canada after back-to-back bronze medals in the past two Olympics. And for the U.S., it is now, well, some version of a tour, whatever they're going to call it, but certainly all eyes on 2023. Be back with that for one more special Olympics kicking back podcast. And then following the Olympics here, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming of kicking back your weekly conversation with players, coaches, personalities from women's soccer and 
looking forward to bringing you more of those. So please subscribe, rate, and review. You won't miss a thing. You're not going to want to miss a thing bringing you more of this. And uh, I'm your host, Jeff Kasouf, and looking forward to talking to you again soon.